Okay, here we go, here we go, here we go. Oh, Mary, you taskmaster. It's going to be okay. I'm sorry we lost the first five minutes of class, but Mary, you got the, you set up now. You people are listening on the radio. Mary just didn't get the microphone started at 10. We started at 10. I'm sorry you missed the first five minutes. Let me go back over what I said, and we'll start from here. Here we go. Let's pray. Happy Lent. Here we go. Lord Jesus Christ, you walked your way to the cross as the obedient servant of God. Now open our eyes and open our ears and teach us by your spirit that we don't rebel against this walk in obedience, but live as your disciples who have learned of you and follow you to the Father and the Holy Spirit. All praise and glory with you, O Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, happy Lent. Uh, it's good to see you. Keep going. Come, come for dinner and um, come to confession if you want. And uh, I'm done, I think. You won't have to face me. I've done it twice. So you got the, you got the young guys. Believe me, you can put anything over on them. Go ahead. I mean, go, go see them at 5.30 if you want. to be done by 6.15. There's dinner at 6. Bring your friends to dinner. It should be good. It was the barbecue food truck, which is... We always play Trump the first week, so I don't know what will be to come, but it'll, it'll be fantastic, whatever it is. So come, come to dinner. And then on Thursday mornings, if you don't know this, there's, there's dinner on Friday or on Wednesday here. And, it's, and there's, uh, I mean, we're like way ahead of Bernie Sanders. This, it's like free. Everything's free, including all your meals. I mean, you can sleep here if you want. It's, it's, uh, so there's dinner on Friday, that's, or Wednesday, that's free. And there's breakfast on Thursday, that's free. So, you know, um, uh, let's see. In the basket, so we're opening a new front in all the places St. John seeks to conquer. Uh, uh, we're going to send, uh, if all goes well, it, uh, we're going to send Rachel Chester to volunteer right dead center in the middle of Australia, uh, the land of Oz, at an aboriginal school that the Lutherans have had from forever. There's been a great Lutheran ministry, so Rachel wanted to go do something fun. She's done a couple of things in the past, Haiti and, and some places in Latin America. But um, So what I'd like to do is send Rachel and then um, send, you know, maybe $1,000 for this school. As you know, they don't, they don't have, you know, they're not going to have a lot. They're in the middle of, they're by Alice Springs. You can Google them up. It's, it's great. I'll try to get you the link. But um, if you throw a little money in the basket, we'll give it to school or we'll give it to Rachel, we'll figure it out, but it'll go toward um, helping folks. In our, you know, they're our friends. It's like, it's like the Russians. You know, the Australians are our friends. We want to support them. We always end up having more than anybody that we work with. We have more. We have a lot. So we try to help the Russians. We want to help, you know, the Australians. We help everybody we can. So anyway, it looks like Rachel's going to spend a month there with them, um, working with their kids. So whatever you put in will go toward that. Okay, Lent in the basket. What else? We got anything else you want to talk about? The Donald and the Pope. <laughs> Amazing that they both have the first name, right? Um, it never works out when you have a little, you, you, you're kind of spitting at each other about who's the better Christian. I mean, it never works out, right? So uh, it's just, and it's so interesting to see people manipulated for, you know, other people's means. But I do actually think maybe the Pope should just sit down and have a drink when he's on his plane. It's always the, it's always the press conference on the plane that gets him in trouble, you know? It's like there's the air leak and everybody's going crazy. So I, I don't know. Um, 
You know, all I can say about that is it's very interesting to see everybody pull it and push it on sides. But I just, you know, apparently you know, the sentiment is good that you should, you know, build bridges and not walls. It completely makes sense. Although, have any of you ever been to the Vatican, which is itself its own nation? And what's around the Vatican? Walls. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And where there's not a wall, they greet you at the point of a spear. Yes. So I'm like... I mean, this is just a little bit of living in glass houses and throwing stones. I mean, I'm not making any statement about anything except I'm just observing the fact of the matter that a man who has his own nation and lives behind a wall says to somebody else who wants his own wall, you shouldn't have a wall. I'm like, are there even any bridges? Um, yeah, that's a, there, is a, there are a few bridges, but you can get across those. So it's all good. It's just, it's, it's just interesting. It just never works out. The world does not work in sound bikes, but whatever, no matter what BuzzFeed would lead you to believe, you know, um, which is, by the, by the way, I mean, BuzzFeed's making money. It's like the number one, I mean, outside the Facebook thing, in terms of media reporting, BuzzFeed is at the top of the list, which is like, you've got to be kidding me. That's where people get their information. I was better when they got it from The Daily Show. But, you know, <laughs> whatever. It just is what it is. You just have to live in this world, and uh, you just keep going, because there's, there's nothing you can do about it, okay? Except love people, which, is, which will distinguish you. All right, so you can kind of think about where we've been. Um, we're hopping around a little bit, but I'm doing that intentionally. It's, Hebrews is very difficult. It's difficult for us. There's a lot of back and forth, and the arguments are very, are very dense, and when they get dense, it sometimes can feel impractical. In reality, it's the most practical of all things. So basically, I mean, you could do this in a hundred different ways, but you know, the way I've chosen to do it is to say, why should you go to church? The simple answer is the answer you know, that I gave you 10 years ago and 15 years ago and five years ago, which is, so that you can become fully human, right? I just have in my head, I remember picking my daughter up at, you know, the, the, in the car line at South, and um, you know, she trundles in with a, another young woman who's now become a very good friend, and she said, Dad, tell her why she should go to church. Now, here's the thing. you got about four seconds. Because <laughs> then they're going to get busy with something else. But if I say to you, you know, tell people, you know, I know what you Lutherans would do. You would launch into this big thing, like from the last hymn, our good works save us never. That's what you would do. You would start singing that, to which nobody that doesn't, they can't understand, you know. Why do you go to church? In one sense, because it makes you fully human, right? The problem with the world today is nobody goes to church, so people are almost subhuman in some sense. They are disordered in some way. They are broken and don't even know their brokenness. So part of the reason you come to church is so that you can become what God intended you to be in Eden, what you were in Eden. Someday you'll be restored. Um, I didn't see Scalia's funeral yesterday because we were at the Catechumenic, but I want to go watch it. It's, it's, I, I got texts while it was going on from people on both coasts who said, you know, this is quite a remarkable thing. So did you see it? Did anybody see it? Yes. If you did see it, apparently it was... It was fabulous. Apparently it was... A, and it was his son, which is the most remarkable thing. I can't imagine... Doing your father's, I mean, I know the guy's, he's a priest and he's got some, you know, chops, but uh, really, I mean, doing your father's funeral is something that is uh, extraordinarily difficult, not recommended, you know. So, uh, but the d- people from all directions said it was extraordinarily Christocentric, that Christ was at the middle, and, and then kind of remarked on the bravery of a man who would stand up to that audience and say, Christ is at the center of things, mm-hmm. Right. All right. Can't wait to see it. The one thing he said, the, the priest, his son, um, said the one thing my dad chastised me about was, was taking confessions on Saturday. 
And he said, why? He said, well, I went to confession on Saturday, and when I found out I was in your line, I got the heck out of there, because no way you're going to hear my confession. <laughs> and then his son said, well, I'm glad you did that, because there's no way in heck I'm going to take your confession. <laughs> Yeah, I had a similar instance with Kirby this week. <laughs> Apparently she knew the confession schedule. No, without me. So whatever. I'm happy to hear her confession at any time, not just on Saturdays, let me just say. The point is... In going to church, you become something that you can't become any other way, right? You become a child of God, right? You become part of the royal household. You become um, one of the Lord's own. You have access. You're able to act as an advisor. Um, You're safe. You're warm. You're dry. You're included. All these things. You even see things. We'll go through this today a little bit, but you're even, you know things you didn't know before. You feel things you didn't feel before. You act in ways you could not act before. When you sin, it chips away, not just at the person you sin against, it chips away at you. When you sin, you can no longer think clearly. When you sin, you can no longer love rightly. When you sin, you can no longer act truly. When you sin, you are less than you were meant to be. When you sin repeatedly, you diminish yourself day after day after day after day. The opposite is true as well. When you live in virtue, when you live in love, you more more closely conform to Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, St. Paul, right? Or Paul to Titus, you know, Timothy. You know, follow me, do what I do. And so, you know, we we learn from that. We follow Christ, we follow the saints. We value those who have gone before us so that we can become what we were meant to be. It will not happen in this life, but we can approximate it. We can have our own heaven, our taste of heaven on earth, if you will. But that taste of heaven now, I will invoke the Pope, is not done by building walls. It is done by living in love and welcoming everybody, but welcoming them on Jesus' terms. And that's always a thing that doesn't get said. So... Um, questions about any of that? That's kind of where we've been. It's such a nice thing. So you've got a second sheet here. Let's, uh, here's what I'm planning to do. I want to move through this sheet with you today. And then uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to circle back around and do the, I think, the glor- that glorious chapter 11, which is just you know, fabulous sort of stuff and, and written in a, almost a poetic way. So we'll come back to that and talk about faith. Because so often when we talk about faith, we talk about what we do. And of course, whenever we're talking about what we do, it's almost certainly wrong. It's more important to talk about faith as um, what the Lord does to us. So spin your Bibles open to Hebrews, please. And you've had these repeated things over the course. So I didn't, get, I didn't put out more of the three A's because you've had that, uh, you know, kind of the three, three A bit. But, but um, you know, if you, if, you, if you have the previous thing, you remember so far, he's given you a stack of reasons why... It's better to go to church than to stay home. Why is that? Well, there's some better things at church. That's where we started. That was um, in Hebrews 6. You know, I, we can just read this so that we get the stack. What he, what, if, you're, if you're reading this, imagine this is, this is a sermon 
So this is probably read during a church service. It's probably read in its entirety. They probably sat down and said, we got this letter here, this is what we're supposed to do, here we go. So you can imagine how they are stacking up the data over and over again. I mean, they're saying a lot of things, but among the things they're saying is, hey, if you go to church, your life is better. This is a very simple argument that you can make. Of course, if you're going to make this argument when you come to church, you also should make it better. If you make church miserable for people, I mean, hey, can I just ask you, what was going on in the first service? Whoa! I mean, that, I mean there, was a lot of, there was a lot of cross currents going on there, right? There was a buzz, as somebody said to me. I'm like, I mean, it's great, but it's contagious among kids, right? Things are, I mean, that was a loud service. There was a lot, there was a lot cooking in that service. But the cool thing is they stayed in. And, and you know, part of it is you just got to, those are our people. That's our people, man. These are our friends. They're here. They're busy. They got some things apparently they want to talk about, and they want to talk, you know, while I'm talking or you're singing. But, you know, that's how life is going to be because you want them in and out. And it's great that, you know, it's great that they're there. It's just such a happy thing because they're getting better too. Okay, so everything's better. You get some better things here. Hebrews 6, right? Just read it quickly. Um, Hebrews 6, uh, 9 to 12. We speak this way because in your case, and we love you, the people whom we love, you, you people who are loved, we feel sure of what? Of better things for your salvation, right? You shouldn't presume that you're going to be saved. You shouldn't presume everything's just going to work out. The only way you know your life is divine is if you do what the Lord has given you to do. If you see as the Lord sees, you speak as the Lord speaks, you do as the Lord does. That's the only way you know. That's what it is to follow me, as Jesus says. So, here we go. And he made this promise, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to multiply you, right? So, so God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love which you showed for his saints. Now, this is really interesting. These are the words for giving alms. So um, it's always funny because, you know, we're just about the break point in the catechumen where people sort of decide if they're in or they're out. It's always so amazing to me. People even who've been in the church for a while find that giving alms to the poor is such an odd thing. There's two things. One is, that's just what you do. Diakonia, the Greek word for ministry, and it gets translated in different ways. It can, you know, can be talking about pastors. But it also talks about the service of giving to other people, especially to the poor. So you're, this diakonia, this ministry, you get deacon is the word, of course, and then we talked about having almoners, which is um, you know, money that you give away to other people. It's really important, one, that you understand that this is what we do, and two, and you know, Lutherans probably should repeat this in the mirror five times in the morning before they go out, which is, when you do such things, God is pleased with you. So often... When Lutherans, we're so afraid of talking about good works earning our way to heaven that we don't talk about good works really at all. It's a, it's a really, a, a, it's a tragedy. Yeah, here, just let me be really clear. No work you do earns your way to heaven. Okay, period, got that out of the way. Now, let me just say this to you. When you do a good work, Jesus is very pleased with you. And sometimes Jesus rewards you. And sometimes he rewards you in ways you see, and sometimes he rewards you in ways you don't see. But God is very pleased for you. God is not so unjust as to overlook your work, like it didn't matter. No, God's not unjust. God is loving. God is just. 
God is not so unjust to overlook your work and the love which you showed for his sake in serving the saints and giving alms, and you still do it. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness. This whole chapter, I mean, this whole book is about, come on, let's go, move, milk to meat, you know, low level to high level, little faith to big faith. This whole book is about, let's grow up. And the interesting thing is it seems so rudimentary until you start to read it. And then you say, these people understood a lot. These were smart people. Otherwise, this guy could not speak in this way. All these references and these drawn out things and the typology and the examples and history and the liturgy, all the things that they know, and he wraps it all up. You're like, holy cats, these people are like, they're down the road. So you start by reading this Bible thinking they don't know anything, and then you read it and you're like, pooh, maybe we don't know anything. Let's go. Let's go. We desire each one of you to show the same earnest in realizing the full stature, the full assurance, the full Uh, This is the full faith, the full thing of hope until the end. So from now till the end, this is what you do. If you're a Christian, this is what you do. Don't be sluggish, but imitators of those. So imitate the saints. This is why the church has saints, to show you that it's possible, to give you a template to go forward so you don't have to learn everything by yourself, right? Those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Okay? God has a lot of stuff stacked up. So that's what we did first. Um, then just go across the page to, you know, chapter 7. You know, go to just verse 19. We just need a little bit, right? 18, 19. On the one hand, the former commandment is set aside because of its weakness, for the law didn't make anything perfect. On the other hand, a better hope is in- introduced. And that's what we've done the past couple of weeks. The law didn't work. Why? Because you didn't work. It wasn't that the law isn't holy, good, divine, revealed. It's not that you didn't know. It's that you didn't do. It's worse than that. It's that you can't do. And so what happens? Jesus comes and does it for you, and he gives it to you as a gift. There was even one of the hymns this morning where it says, we praise God's merit. So interesting, right? The merit is, you know, we praise his merit. You know, his stash of good stuff. Why? Because he gives that to you. All right, so that's good. That's the second thing you did. So you get better things. You get um, a better hope. You get a better access to God. We get to draw near to God. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. And then um, we also get better promises. Okay, so that's that's sort of the first bit. So now I'm, I'm all the way. And I'm all the way to... Uh, So I'm on to the outline that I gave you for today, okay? So now go to chapter 10, if you will. Um, Again, I'm not going through through verse by verse because there's so many detours, and it'll it'll take years, right, to kind of go back and do this. just, Just these main points. It's better to be in church. Why? You have better access. You have better hope. You have better promises. And now you have a better possession. This is um, chapter 10, round about um, 34. So let's just kind of start at 32. But remember, can I, you all need to remember that in Scripture, remember is a synonym with faith. People who remember are faithful. People who don't remember are unfaithful. It's really that simple. 
If you remember where you come from, if you remember that God is God and you're not God, if you remember Noah, if you remember Abraham, if you remember Moses and the Ten Commandments, if you remember the Red Sea, if you remember, remember, remember what God has done for you, if you remember that someday David will have a son who will sit on his throne forever, if you remember that, if you remember what it was like for Israel to be exiled and to bring back from exile, if you remember all of this, if you remember that this was all done for you, if you remember that, then your natural response is gratitude. And I've given you this at point three. This is the normal. Memory does a couple of things for you. Memory makes you realize that you're dependent, lost, if you will. If you remember that you're dependent, you're suddenly very grateful that somebody has been kind to you. It's just like this in business or in life or in being a parent or you know having a coach of uh, you re- realize you go someplace that you'd have never gone if somebody wouldn't have put a good word in for you if somebody wouldn't have helped you up if somebody wouldn't have opened the door it's terribly important when you remember that you're always grateful for those people right it's that times a zillion when you come to the text so you remember that you're dependent on god you're grateful for that that makes you humble See, the opposite, when you're proud, pride is the great sin. So pride breaks the first commandment. Why? Because you think you can make it on your own. This is the great sin of the last 300 years, that people can make it on their own. It's even the last sin, it's the, it's the sin that's been inherited by the postmoderns as well. Postmoderns are more open to the faith than the moderns were, but they still, the, the, they, they still their own heart is the judge of what is true and what is false, Right? of what is right and what is not. That's the the great sadness. If you remember, though, that you're a child of God, that you're dependent on Him, humility grows, and frankly, this is kind of the next push, you take some strength in that. Remember the former days when, now look at this, after you were enlightened, illumined. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the Spirit bringing you faith. This is what happens... This is baptismal talk. What happens? You were in darkness and now you're in light. So you think back to the time when you used to depend on things that were not permanent and not effective. And now you remember the time that you came to baptism and in baptism you were illumined by the Holy Spirit. You recall the former days when after you were enlightened, now this, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to abuse and affliction. Hey man, nothing has changed. If you want to be unpopular, be a Christian. Especially at the highest levels. If you want to be unpopular at the highest intellectual levels, be a Christian. Right? Because, you know, if there's somebody to blame, that's who it is. Why? Because Christians have this very basic thing that says, I'm not my own God. It's, It's just so interesting. You either have God or you have self, and one of them has to die. This is the, the most interesting thing. We've been talking about this a lot as pastors. I give this article. We've been trying to figure out. You know, it's great because one of the great things about going to the Eucharist is the after Eucharist party in the vesper or in the vestry every every day. So we've been trying to figure out why it's not enough for people to get their way, right? We've been trying to figure out why people have to press their point. Press their point means it's not enough for you to say you can do that. To press the point means that you not only have to say you can do that, 
but I think it's wonderful. And kind of the conclusion we've come to, guided by some of the stuff that we've been reading, is that it's because way down deep in people, they still have a conscience. And as long as you, it's not enough for you to ease their conscience to say, you can do what you want, you can be free. To ease a person's conscience, you have to tell them that it's okay, that I actually endorse you. It's really an interesting argument. You know, whether or not people deep down have, as the scriptures say, the law of God written on their heart. If they don't have it, all bets are off. You can do whatever you want. But if they do have it, that accounts for the final pain. And as long as that pain increases, uh, the pushback comes to you. And frankly, you know, this is why people get martyred. Because if you won't give in, then I've got to kill you. Something's got to die. God's got to die, or you've got to die. Somebody's got to die. Right? You can't, have, you, can't have two, you can't have two kings of the universe. There's just one. So what happens then is you say, hey, you said you were going to be a Christian. You got baptized. And look, now your life stinks. See, you thought if you joined St. John, your life would get Oh, no, here's the dirty little secret. It's probably worse, right? We should probably say this more often. If you want to ruin your life, you know, go ahead and become a Christian. As Luther said, you know, he once baptized a kid, and he wasn't much for innovative, but he sort of mutters under his breath. He baptizes this kid, and then he says, well, we haven't done this kid any favors. I'm like, well, yeah, that's exactly right. We, we, nobody did you any favors when you got baptized, because here's what happens. Sometimes you're exposed to a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you're publicly exposed to abuse and affliction. Just watch a week of TV, chart how Christians are portrayed. Here's the Christians I know. Augustine, Aquinas, Benedict, the smartest pope in a thousand years. Scalia, apparently, even by other justices, recognizes always the smartest guy in the room. You, might, you know what it must be like to be a Supreme Court you walk in the room and you're always the smartest guy? That's an amazing thing, right? These are the people that I know who are Christians. You know, not the people that sort of show up as bigoted and angry. And I mean, certainly there are plenty of Christians like that. Don't be one. Because then you deserve the abuse. If you, if you are abused because of what you do in distinction to Jesus, you're on your own. But if you endure abuse because you live as Jesus does, well then, you console yourself with this, that your life is very short, and the Lord will sort it out in the last day, and when he sorts it out, you're going to be on the right side of things. That there really is a right thing, that things really will be ordered, that life really will be fulfilled, that the end will really come, that justice will have its way, that love will be complete. That's what, you know, that's what the Christian life is about. People who don't understand it who get in power feel like they have to press that down. Uh, it's a difficult thing. So in some sense, the era has changed for us. For a number of decades, Christianity's had kind of a free pass. Um, the free pass is over. I think to myself, this looks like a replay of Europe after the Second World War. So if you go to Europe, you know... Um, it's not really so fair to say that the churches are empty. Often the churches are full, but it's a very small percentage of the population, right? Because if you talk to people, the, the two world wars were so devastating to them. What they'll often tell you is it was so devastating to, to suffer all that there couldn't possibly be a God. Well, that's not a very sophisticated argument about evil or about human beings. 
But that's sort of, um, you know, we've sort of caught the bug. We're always, uh, you know, if you want fashion, you go to Tokyo. So Chicago fashion, Tokyo's two years ahead. What you saw in Tokyo two years ago was in Paris last year. It'll be in Chicago this year, right? And what works for, you know, skirts works for religion too, right? I mean, it just, it just is. I mean, people are just ahead because they've had a different, you've had a different experience if you've been... Um, if you've been trampled or, you know, if you've lived under a totalitarian regime, you just have a different experience. So, anyway, um, you know, there's every chance that you'll suffer for being a Christian. Please just make sure that when you suffer for being a Christian, you're actually suffering for being a Christian and not for something that you've done. For you had compassion on the prisoners and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. I myself am not convinced that this um, suggests a pacifism. I remember hearing a lecture at Wheaton College by a very famous theologian who said, uh, you know, if somebody was breaking into my house, um, you know, I'd let them kill me and my wife and my kids and not fight back because that's what Jesus would want. Yeah, see, I'm not so sure about that. But there, it may come to a point, as it was in the early church, uh, where you actually don't have too much of a choice. Uh, and when those points come, you just have to say, well, I played it out as best I could, and, um, you know, this is what's come to me. Now, here's the thing. You know, America's not in dire straits. There's, there's every chance for things to be reversed. Uh, but it will, it, will, it will depend much on you. It'll depend much on the church living in love, being an alternative. What's interesting is, is that um, as hate builds... The church has to show itself not as hateful, but as the alternative to that. Because what will happen is, hate always kills. And what happens, I, I was at a, this is a pastoral story. You know, we're with some pastors who, we're talking about other pastors and how you have to get them out and move them out and get rid of them and get them out. And somebody said, I mean, at least it was honest, he said, yeah, and, and, it, and he said, and when you're done with them, what will you do? And he said, then we come for you. And that's how hate works. Because hate makes itself divine. The only person that can stand is me, right? Everybody else has to be killed because you'll disagree with me. And if you disagree with me, this is how I make myself a little God. If you disagree with me, then you're finished. So your choices are capitulate and agree with me or you're done for. It usually takes some time um, if we could intercept that on the way, in the way of love and not in the way of hate, right? So hate works in the way of power, works in the way of force, works in the way of injustice. Love works on the opposite of all those things. Um, keep your eyes open, see where that takes you. Okay. So we don't throw away our confidence, which has a great reward. It's the only way you can live in hope in the midst of this. How do, how do people live in hope in the midst of tragedy? Because you're focused beyond the current moment. So you're focused, you always live sort of with the last thing in mind, and so you can be hopeful now. Not because everything is going to work out in your favor. It might be worse, but you actually know that there's a day somewhere where Jesus will settle this up. That's how you keep from being angry. Because you know someday, whatever happens today, the Lord will settle this up. Just so I'm clear to you, this is not an excuse for anybody to be unjust now, to be hateful now, to oppress other people now. It's not an excuse for any of that. Oh, someday the Lord will clean it up. No. You do two things. You live in love now, and you live in love toward the end game. 
and you know that because love doesn't work by force. There are days, times, places where love loses the day. You want to? I tell you what. Go home and read. Go home and read the paper today, and just think about the different places. You ask yourself: Is if love is having its way in Syria, Iraq, and Iran? Just ask yourself the question. Or ask yourself the question: Is is love having its way um, in the West Bank and in, in in Israel? Okay. Just ask yourself those questions. Just read around in Africa. You know. Just ask yourself in the places um, where Boko Haram is so 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 so, 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 uh, so horrible and yet so 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 powerful. Ask yourself if love has its way, and then ask yourself if people wouldn't do anything to have that reversed. And that you see is the power of the church. That's better. People don't have to believe you. They don't have to believe you that, that, that you're spinning something out. It's just better if the person next to you isn't wearing a suicide vest. It's just better. It's, I mean, you saw this thing where, you know, you see this 14-year-old kid in Mosul, Muslim kid had his head chopped off because these guys walked in, and, you know, he's playing Western music. And under Sharia law, nobody knew yet that that was, but these guys decided that it was, so they took him in front of his parents and they cut his head off, Right? And it's one of the few times there started to be rebellion in some of these places that are controlled, right? That is, that is, you can't describe what that kind of evil is like, right? That is subhuman. That is inhuman, right? So, I mean, that's actually what's happened here when they talk about a better alternative. These people knew about people being thrown to the lions. These people knew about people being starved to death and frozen to death. These people experienced that. So how do you live in that? You say to yourself, I will not compromise, and I'll keep the anger, and you will be as miserable as the people who persecute you. Right? That's all bundled up in this. All right, so, you know, you have need of endurance so that you may do the will of God and receive what is promised. You've got a better promise, and your promise depends on memory. I'm just filling out this first part, so that's going to happen to you instead. All right? Uh, Let's see. I've given you most of this, but uh, let me give you at least, go to chapter 12. Just spin ahead two pages to chapter 12, probably in your Bible. All right? I'm going to come back and do... Morning is going to come and do his favorite Hebrews riff with you. I'm not sure what that will mean exactly, but keep an eye on him while I'm gone, okay? So I'll be gone next week. He'll do a Hebrews thing and I'll come back. But I'll do 11 when I get back. I got some some fun parent stuff I get to do. So, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, this is going to be important because these Lutheran confessions say we love the saints. You know, we should be... God, we should be much more... We're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely. This is what, you know, hobbles. This is like ties up your legs and drops you, right? And then this becomes... So when he says to you, um, you should have joy, it's not some free-floating thing that has no historical context or has no divine meaning. Exactly the same word is used for Jesus. So whatever joy Jesus experienced lent on the way to Jerusalem, P. 
people start to abandon him. His best friends leave him. He's taken. He's convicted in a sham trial. All the things that people are all upset about have already been wrapped up in Holy Week. He's an innocent man who is convicted on false testimony and then executed, right? So where's prayers on a regular basis of giving alms to the poor, of going to the Eucharist all the time, of reading the scriptures and meditating on them, of tithing, of being merciful in every interaction. They knew all that. They did all that, right? You just keep going because there's something on the far side. Jesus just keeps going for the joy you endure this. You see, it's exactly the same. You live as a Christian, and come what may, you're in God's hands. Jesus lives as a Christian, as a son of God, and come what may, he's in God's hands. It's exactly the same thing. We're surrounded by these great witnesses. So put away the things where you want to be sinful, the things that would weigh you down. For example, you don't want to forgive people, or you don't want to be merciful. Put that down. It's too heavy to carry. You know, you won't make it. You'll sink. You'll drag. Put that all away. And run with perseverance the race that is set before us. It's not your race. It was set before you. The course has already been prescribed. Looking to Jesus. Follow me. Follow me. Take up your cross. Follow me. Follow me. Come and be the 13th disciple. Follow me. Zacchaeus. Follow me. Right? For the joy that was set before us, he endured the cross, despising its shame, scorning its shame, and now he's seated at the right hand of God. This is exactly what happens to you. You endure whatever you endure. We pray that things will go well. We pray that the church will flourish. We pray that we can live in love. We pray that we're not persecuted. We pray that we're not outlawed. We pray for all those things, but that's not what matters. What matters that is in every circumstance, you live beyond the cross. In every circumstance, you live beyond your own death. In every circumstance, you live toward the last day. And then what happens to Jesus happens to you which is you're surrounded by joy and you come into the presence of God at the right hand, right? Your family, your home, life's good. Um, just tell yourselves I made it to the end. We got to go, okay? So let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.